This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Anthony Zoric is a Croatian-American and my go-to source for all things Croatian football. He grew up in Southern California, but spent summers training and playing in Croatia. Uh, he and I actually grew up playing in the same Croatian tournaments here in the United States. And we talk a little bit about that at the beginning of this interview. But eventually, he landed at San Diego State University, where he continued his playing career. And now, these days, he works for his family's business in Los Angeles, California. But when Croatia secured their spot in the 2018 World Cup semifinal... I was not one bit surprised to see that Anthony jumped on a plane and went to Russia. And is that spontaneous act and his incredible loyalty to this team, which are the reasons why I wanted to bring him on the show. So this conversation flows in and out of a handful of topics, such as some of my own personal story and family history, which I've never revealed on the podcast before, uh, his experiences training in Europe as a young boy, and of course, a recap of his trip to the 2018 World Cup to support Croatia. If you are interested in learning more about Croatian football, I would highly suggest connecting with Anthony on social media. I have provided a link to his Twitter in the write-up that is available on 343coaching.com. And that is also where you can find links to the two conversations that I have had the absolute pleasure of recording with Romeo Jozak, the former Croatian technical director that is credited with much of the success of the Croatian national teams. 343coaching.com is also where you can find the 343 coaching education programs. 343 are the proven leaders in possession-based soccer coaching education here in the United States. 343's coaching programs are like an online university that helps thousands of coaches through 24-7 access to digital learning and mentorship using training videos, ebooks, and audio lessons, reduce their trial and error time, and get right to the work that matters. Because your time is precious, and there is no sense in wasting it. The 343 methodology is the culmination of years and years of Brian Clyburn's own learning and trial and error process. And after going through that process and knowing how much time and energy it takes, Gary Kleiben developed an online program to help streamline your own development process and make your life as a coach much easier. Basically, 343 wants to give you the tools to make you a better coach. Plain and simple. So to find out more about the 343 Coaching Education Program, the program that actually helps to support and fund this podcast, you can visit 343coaching.com. That's the numbers 343coaching, all spelled out. Com. All right. I hope that you enjoy this episode of the 343 podcast with Anthony Zoric. Hello, John. Yo, what's going on, dude? How are you, my friend? Uh, I'm stressed out right now. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> what's, what's going on? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not stressed. I guess I should say I'm just. Um, I don't know. I'm opening a bottle of wine. I'll put it that way. <laughs> I just had. A, I, I just. I just had a beer. <laughs> nice, perfect. We're gonna be on the same page then. <laughs> no, just just watching this stupid MLS All Star game. It just it stresses me out. I don't know why. That is funny. I just I just caught like the last five minutes. I met I met up with my sister at a bar, and uh, I just needed to grab because I I'm married and I have two kids, so I live I live like ten minutes away from my parents. But with two kids around, I won't have any peace and quiet. So I was like, I'm gonna come do this at my parents' house, which is like <laughs> which is like ten minutes away from my house, you know. Yeah, of course, dude. No, just watching watching this game and then just watching the responses from some people and you know I put I put a couple of tweets out and, and then some you know the people that respond to those things are just it brings people out of the weeds, dude. I don't know where these people I, I don't know where these people come from. <laughs> <laughs> MLS bots, dude. I, I I don't know if they're real or not, but I feel like yeah. they're real. They might be. I don't know. They Freaks might me be, out. but they, they don't they don't know what they're missing. Ah. Yeah, I guess not. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> All right. 
first glass of wine is poured for the night. You know, you know what's funny is uh, I saw you posted a picture with your dad. I don't know if it was on Facebook or Twitter, but I totally remember your dad being an assistant for was it the San Jose Croatian team? Yeah. <laughs> at, at one of the tournaments that my team played in, my team was LA Croatia. Yeah. So I totally remember him on the sidelines next to Aldo. Yep. Yep. That's right. That is so funny. So funny, yeah. man. The uh, the only the, so I've only been to I've only been to Croatia one time, and the only time that I went, I actually stayed in Aldo's house in um, Rabat's. Oh, nice. Yeah. So we went on vacation there. It was it was beautiful. Where is uh, your family from? Um, yeah. m- well, the the majority of my family lives in Zagreb. Um, okay. My my. My dad and all of his family were actually um, were actually born in Teslic in in Bosnia. Okay. So that's that's kind of like we we have a house there, we have a property there, but I think we're like one of I don't know only a handful of families that actually came back and rebuilt after the war. So like just uh-huh. just like yeah, like like four months ago maybe, my my brother sent my dad a picture and and they were there working on the house that my that my dad grew up in. And they, what um what's the closest city to to Teslich? Dude, what's I have closest? no I, I have no idea. Um Yeah, I have no idea either. Uh, was, my wife was... my wife's family is from Herzegovina, so I have been I've been there a couple times now. Yeah. My dad's uh, my dad's from Zadar, so that's where I spent all my summers growing up. Yeah. And 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 that's where that's where the majority of my family moved to and 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 still is like I don't know how many of my dad's brothers are 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 there. Both both of my brothers are well, I guess one of them one of them lives in Split now. One of your brothers? Yeah, and then he lives in Split. Yeah, yeah. What's or maybe he doing two, over there? Maybe two of them do now. What are Dude, they doing over there? <laughs> it's a it's a long story that that isn't isn't very talked about. But yeah, my I have I have three brothers that that live in Croatia. Um, wow. That uh, yeah. So my my dad was basically not basically my dad was married before he moved to the United States. And okay. had three had three kids before he moved here, and then that's I, I was so born here. Half, yeah. Your half brothers, my half, half brothers. brothers. Yeah, got it. Yeah, got so it. it's kind of a kind of a funny story. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I want to tell it publicly. <laughs> no, 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 but... <laughs> no. I was just curious. I was like, what the hell, are your brothers doing in Croatia? You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a interesting, interesting story. I, I definitely will tell it someday. Um, yeah. But maybe, maybe, maybe not today. Um, have, you, have you Have you met them all then? Yeah, no, no I, I met them all, and it was actually fun. The first time that I went to Croatia, I was barely 18, I think. Uh-huh. Yeah, I had just turned 18 the month before. And, dude, I, I had the worst trip, man. It, it was so funny. Um, I had just gotten, like, a new girlfriend here in the United States. I just yeah. gotten, like, a cell phone, and I couldn't use my cell phone over there. So I was just, like, bumming around the whole time. I couldn't talk to my girlfriend. Oh, I didn't I, I, I didn't grow up speaking the language. So yeah. Um, it was just kind of like a weird experience for me being over there and meeting my entire family for the first time. If I could That's redo crazy. it, if I could redo it now, like, you know, 13, 14 years later, it would be a completely different experience for me. I have a way different appreciation for life, number one, but for my family, number two. And that I think being a stupid 18 year old, I just, I, I didn't understand. No, it's, it's totally understandable. You're young and immature, man. That's <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 18. When, when when you look when you look at life later, man, a lot of things. Even that growing up, when I was thinking my, a certain way, my dad would be, you know, telling me something, and I didn't understand it. And but now now I'm like, look, my dad was right about that. He was right mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. I think it was actually, I think it was Dukic that said something on Twitter, like during the World Cup, something about like, I think it was when when Dalic, um sent the player home. Like yeah, like in in Croatian in Croatian culture, like you grow up getting smacked in the back of the head if you if you do something wrong and and at it's the true. time like that like that's how my dad raised me and yeah. it was different than all the other kids got raised and i didn't understand it when you know being here in america you know kind of the way that my dad was you know trying to raise me looking yeah. back like you know hindsight's 2020 20, it all made sense or it all makes sense now i wish it made sense to me then but it didn't believe so. me i grew up in in this in, with, with the same dad yep. with the same dad i think a lot of, a lot of Croatian people did <laughs> yeah hey so l- let me tell you the reason why i wanted to actually interview you because sure. you you did something that 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 caught my eye so i guess i should actually say that you're you're pretty much my number one resource when it comes to anything croatian football um that's great 
and somebody had reached out to me initially and, and asked me to be on a on a radio show to talk about Croatia leading into the World Cup, and I was like, absolutely not, like no way. But <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, I know this other guy that that would be perfect for it. And so I, I was actually super happy that you went on there and did that because it, it actually helped me uh, kind of warm up for the World Cup as well. So I, I, I was nice. I was very happy about that. No, um, no, that was fun. That was fun. Those, those two guys are really nice, and yeah. they they have a good show. I like yeah. I like I like I like the way they uh, they play off each other. Yeah, but that's not the reason why I wanted to bring you on the show. That was just uh, that was just uh, a little tidbit to throw in there for people. So you yeah. did something that that really caught my attention and and that's when Croatia you know they had really secured their spot of going far in the tournament uh World Cup 2018 for people that are picking this up down the road and you spontaneously bought a ticket to Russia and just went there on a whim and I have massive respect for people that 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 number one you know travel and and do things on a whim like that uh, but number two, do that to support uh, to support a football team. I, I think that's that's an amazing thing that not very many people do. And so when I saw you do that, I was like, I'm absolutely going to bring this guy on the show and and pick his brain about why he did that, what the experiences were like, um, and and just kind of just just to see the get get the why behind it all. Yeah. So uh, I don't so, know if yeah. you were prepared to talk about that, but. <laughs> Why not? I'm I'm ready. I'm ready for anything. <laughs> so so tell me tell me yeah, what what prompted you to do that? So like like what was what was the kicker for you to to click purchase on that ticket to Russia? Well, I mean, it's pretty funny because before the tournament even started, I mean, I had I had a good feeling about Croatia. You know, we we had a we have a great team. I knew we had a great team. Very experienced players, a lot of guys in their prime. And uh, I told my wife, if we get to the final, I'm going to Russia. So she was, <laughs> you know, she kind of laughed. She thought it was kind of funny at first, but uh, every game we won, she was like, well, she's like, it actually might happen, you know. <laughs> further and further, we got along. So when we beat Denmark, uh, or I mean Russia, in penalties, um, that was when I was. I talked to my wife. I was like, I was like, I could wait for the final. Or I could go to the semis, and if we lose, I'll go to the third place game. So I'm guaranteed two matches, you know. But I mean, I really, really hoped, obviously, that we were going to get to the final. But I'm really glad that I went to the semifinal because that game against England was incredible to be at. And what what was the experience like? Of I, I can only imagine that you traveled in your jersey. Um, I I can only imagine that you arrived in Russia and it was just electric. So maybe maybe describe what that experience was like just kind of traveling to and arriving in Russia. Oh, uh, I, I got in, it was, it was it's actually funny. I flew with a good a friend of mine, uh, Peter Novakovich, who's uh, another person who's very involved in, in, in Croatian soccer. He's, I think he's the only guy to hold a FIFA license to be able to host, uh, to host a match, a FIFA sanctioned match in the U S or something. But uh, he was, he was a coach. At, he was an ex coach at LMU. And we flew together, and uh, I mean the whole time. Obviously, we're we're talking about Croatian soccer, just how amazing it was for 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 us to be in the semifinal and 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 thinking, hey, we, we really have a chance to win this thing. You know, always just win two games, which is it's it's unbelievable when you think about it. Um, so, you know, I got there late that night, but the next day, just being in that atmosphere is incredible. Just being around all the fans. I mean, they get out to the city early the croatian fans and you see checkers everywhere and you know people start singing everywhere and just the whole build-up to the game is 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 incredible so that's that's you know i got to go to france as well i I got to go to two matches at euro 16 and uh that atmosphere the fan atmosphere before the matches just like you said it's electric it's it's almost addicting so i wanted to experience it again that's a that's a good word addicting like yes. the, that it's it's kind of like a like a high and and yes. i i totally experienced that i was in north carolina at a like a little i actually watched the semifinal at an english pub ironically and it was just me and maybe four other croatian fans five other croatian fans i can't remember exactly 
and and you know the feeling of winning was like this high like i was i i i, I was fiending for more it was really weird and and you know to have to wait like three four days before the final i was like just itching like oh my gosh like like what's happening like this is this is i know oh. i know I was, so, it was, I was the same and i was sitting around all english fans too at the at the, <laughs> at the, at the stadium i was, Descri- I was yeah the describe that player. describe that des- describe game day well, i mean England. uh it was it was crazy because like i said i bought my ticket and i you know i'm flying halfway around the world to watch this game so I, I got my ticket on StubHub and I made sure to get a category one ticket, which is supposed to be, you know, the best, the best seats basically. So I had a good sideline view, but all the fans around me were English. I didn't have any Croatian fans around me. So it was really, it was really depressing when England scored, <laughs> but, uh, but when, when, when we tied it and I was jumping up and down, looking around at all the sad faces, it felt great. That's funny. Yeah. Was it, so, uh, what, what was the environment like? Hostile, friendly, you know, the Croatian fans, the Croatian fans, uh, I was sitting kind of towards the corner on the Croatian side and the Croatian fans are just great, man. I mean, they sing and clap and, uh, they just, they just bring this energy. That's, uh, that's incredible. We have, we have some of the, I mean, for me, obviously, you know, being Croatian, but, but, uh, there's such a unity and everyone's just having so much fun and, uh, it's just a wonderful, wonderful atmosphere to be around. And, uh, and, and you, you enjoy the songs that they sing and, you know, when you, when you understand what they're saying, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> when you understand what they're saying, that's yeah. So, so this is where I'm going to ask you and I'm going to lean on your expert opinions of Croatian football, that some of the stuff that gets said can be misinterpreted or misunderstood, I guess. So like some of the songs and some of the behavior by fans, I guess Croatian, Croatian fans don't have the best reputation, especially, you know, across Europe, but even in their own, even, even in our own country, like there, there's some, you know, different factions and divisions within, within the fan groups. Definitely. Can you, can you, can you kind of explain that to people that aren't, aren't really aware of what, what I'm referring to? Well, I mean, it's, there's, there's a, the capital Zagreb, um, that's where the the Hrvatski Nogomeni Savez, the Croatian Football Federation, is based, and um, and that's where we've played ninety to ninety five percent of our qualifiers uh, in the last, I'd say, like I think it's like fifteen years. And you have Split, which is the second biggest city in Croatia, with uh, with with a, with a decent sta- stadium. It's the nicest stadium in Croatia. It's it's nicer than Maksimir, which which is in Zagreb. And I think we've only played like something like two qualifiers in the last 15 years there. So there's just a big kind of friction between Zagreb and Split. So um, this is, like I said, this is not something that's new. This is something that's been getting worse over time. Uh, And personally, I, I really hope that they take this, this moment of unity to, to try to, to try to bridge that gap, you know, because it's very important that that Zagreb and Split get along because right now it's it's still really bad. And I'm hoping that they're going to start having some more matches in Split and start trying to trying to have a better relationship with, uh, I'm, you know, I'm a Hajduk supporter. That's how my father was a huge Hajduk fan growing up. So, it, you know, it's kind of hard because you're a Hajduk fan and you're a Croatian fan. So, so you get these like looks from the Hajduk fans, like, wait a second, like you're a Hajduk fan. You're not supposed to support Croatia because that's like <laughs> how hardcore these people are. Like you can't support both. It's like one or the other. So uh, it's, it's very, it's very confusing for a lot of people that don't understand all the politics involved in it. See it. And I'm glad, I'm glad that you got to that point because that's kind of what I was referring to is that there, there is this group, like this group of ultras, that will refuse to support the national team because of you know the other the other political aspects of what's happening in Croatian football, which is insane, man. Like I I get it, but at the same time I don't I don't get it. Does that I don't know well, if that makes sense. I think for us especially, uh, you know, being Croatians outside of Croatia, I think it's very different. Now, if I was a Croatian kid growing up in Split, my mind would might be you know working totally differently but like 
we're looking in kind of from the outside, me yeah. and you, you know, being being Croatians here. Like for me, uh, you know, I might have been to five or six Hajduk split matches in my life, you know, but I've watched basically every qualifier, every every uh, Euro Cup match, every World Cup match of Croatia. So I've been a lot like very involved in in the Croatia matches where, you know, the Hajduk games before a few years ago, you couldn't even watch them on on the Internet. So, so it, it was more of a kind of a distance, I guess you'd say, even though when I support Hajduk and I support Croatia, I have the same passion. It's like the same hope and the same, you know, desire for your team to win. But uh, I, I just think that being around Croatian people in LA, that's kind of what brought us, would, would bring us together for these matches, these World Cup games and these Euro Cup games. It, it's kind of what brought us together here. And I think in split, it, that's what brings them together there too. But uh, it, it's a very, very, very hard thing to explain. It is. And ironically, is. the only the only game, the only Croatian game I've been to in, in Croatia, obviously I've only been one time, but I, I went to a game that was in split. So I, and I and I understand now how rare of an occurrence that is uh, that I got to see the team play in in that stadium. It was it wasn't a uh, it was a friendly, but even still, like to to see the team play in, in split is you know a big deal. So yeah, Hajduk has incredible fans. I mean, yeah. absolutely incredible. They're so so that that city is just I don't know. I lived there for a year, so I I played as an eighteen year old. I after high school, I went and played for a junior team in Croatia. So I lived in split for a year and i got to experience kind of life in split and uh the fans there are so dedicated to that team I mean, it's, it's 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 literally like a religion in split 100 yeah that that was actually the first place that i ever experienced a march to the stadium so from my brother my brother was living in split at the time there and he had an apartment that was near the stadium a few miles maybe and and so we walked we walked to the stadium and about like a mile from the stadium we joined up with a march that was that was going to the stadium and that that was the first time I had ever experienced anything like that because growing up here in America that didn't that does even still like to this day like I know Seattle you know kind of mimics it and Portland mimics it and things like that but nothing like that like the the nothing even close to the to the genuine atmosphere the genuine football atmosphere that I experienced that day. And, and I kind of, yeah. when, when we first started talking, I kind of hinted that, you know, I was being kind of like a loser for, you know, during, during my trip. Well, yeah. the, the game was actually at the end of my trip and I had kind of like settled in and I'd come out of my, my travel funk. And yeah. that was one of the moments too, where I was like, wow, like this is an amazing experience. Like what, like, why do I care about my girlfriend that's back home? Like f- fuck off. Like who cares? Yeah. And, and, that that to me was was like a very pivotal moment of my my footballing I don't want to say development but just like yeah just my 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 life as a, as a soccer fan so yeah no I've done that walk too and it's it's intense it's intense it, it's a great energy it's a really great energy that the that the Hajduk fans uh bring to matches so let's kind of go back to to your trip so Croatia wins against England in the semifinals. What happened next for you? I mean, it was a party for the next, <laughs> I don't even know how many, several hours. It was kind of hard for me because I got in late the night before. So I was jet lagged and tired. I got in at like midnight or 1 a.m. By the time I got to my, my, my Airbnb, it was like 2 a.m. So, uh, so it was just, I was very tired. But I mean, from the stadium, all the Croatians were singing together. It was incredible. They were all singing together. They were all going to the uh, to the metro together. Everybody was singing together. While you're in the metro, inside the metro, people are jumping up and down, singing together, all the way, to, <laughs> all the all the way to uh, all the way to the Red Square, and that's where everybody was, you know, partying for for several hours. So uh, it was just incredible. It, it was. It, it still doesn't even feel real, you know. After that game, you're in the World Cup final. I mean, it's incredible. So uh, it, it still, it still kind of feels like a dream. 
<laughs> I can Honestly. I can tell it, it kind of feels like you're like you're reliving it right now as you're. As I'm you're thinking about like... it. I'm thinking about it right now. Just just I just remember that feeling after England be like, oh my god, if we beat France, we're gonna win the World Cup, and only eight countries have ever done that. I mean, only 13 countries have ever been to the final. So just that alone is a huge accomplishment for Croatia. Yeah. Being a you know a tiny country, but uh, I think that we've proven in 20 years a third place and a second place that. We might be a small country, but we're a huge footballing nation. Yeah, it's something that Tom Beyer brings up frequently, like the like the fact that only a limited number of countries have have actually won the tournament, and the things that you know, I, I guess that he he really looks at what are the things that those countries are doing right that have allowed them to win, and you know, there's the outliers, right? So like. Uruguay won. I don't know how many years ago, and England won theirs. I don't yeah, know how many years Uruguay ago. Uruguay won right? like the thirties. Uh, yeah. England won sixty-six. So that's a long time. And I think yeah. since I think they've only been in like three or four semifinals ever. And Croatia's yeah. been in two in the last twenty years. Yeah, so, so it's crazy. So so Tom Tom's really like focused on like all right, what are the countries like the perennial finalists or semifinalists? Like what like what are those countries doing? The Germanys, right? the Brazils, the Argentinas. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the Frances, like, France. like what are those countries doing? Right. And, and Italy. Now, yeah. And, and now see, this is like where I don't want to become too much of a fanboy, but like now Croatia can almost join that conversation where, you know, they haven't won one yet, but you know, being, being that close twice in 20 years is a pretty damn good accomplishment. So it's, now it's, it's not that far fetched to think that something is going right in that country and it's worth taking a look at. And, and that's why I was really interested in interviewing Romeo and yeah, yeah I, I listened to that interview. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And, and, and I kind of, and I think I even told him during the, during the conversation too, like, Hey man, like I don't want to pump your, your curriculum without people understanding that, you know, this isn't like a quick fix. Like, yeah, like people, people need to dedicate themselves to, to either your process or any process if they want to see success, because that's what Croatia has done in order to reach some type of success. I, I just think that pe people don't realize, see, I got, I got to see the American, I was one of the few people that got to see the American system work and the Croatian system work because I would go there for the summers and my dad would always have training set up for me at Zadar or at Hajduk at the youth academies. Right. So I got to see both, how both worked, how both the American system worked and the Croatian system worked. And what I saw there was, that like you say soccer school or football school or football academy. I mean, those kids, by the time they're 18, they have all the tools to become professional. They're ready, man. They're ready to play first team football in Europe, you know? And I just don't think that I think the U S is far behind when it comes to that. What, what was a typical day? Like when you, when you would do the summer trainings, I, I was, I was doing two trainings a day. And I mean, just, just comparing the technique like here, there might have been one kid that was more more technical than me and over there i mean i might have been in the middle maybe a little little less than average and over here i mean i was the best you know maybe one guy was more technical than me that's it and so the difference in technique was just like that that right away kind of was like wow these kids can all juggle without dropping the ball no problem you know we we're doing all these different exercises um juggling below your knee above your knee above your head just left foot right foot left and all these kids could do it no problem i was like in america i mean not even close not you know? even close so, not even so, close so not even i mean uh i mean i had no problems in high school juggling across the whole field without dropping the ball but all those kids on high probably the goalkeeper could even do it so i mean it just the difference is just huge but you have to remember that those kids are training once or twice a day every day where here I was training two, maybe three times a week. So just those additional trainings are huge. And then when they're not, when they're not training, like my, my, my buddies, uh, I'm talking to my buddy in split often. And he says his son plays two to three hours a day on the street courts there, which is, I mean, that's huge. Two to three hours a day. If you're not training, you're, you're there with your friends playing for hours. So that's something that kids don't have here. And if I had it, you know, walking distance 10 minutes away i would have been there every day too but i don't have it you don't have it here yeah that's, that's a very interesting point because i i recently got to spend a bunch of time with uh, a guy from argentina and mm -hmm. i was asking him 
about how often, like when he was a kid, you know, did he use a wall, you know, to, to pass the ball against or anything like that when he was alone? And he's like, no, you know what? Like there, there was never a moment that I couldn't go out and find a real game, uh, like a street, a, like a street game or go to a field and, and find people playing. So why would I play by myself if I could go play real soccer? And that's, and, and that's where you, that's where you learn so much. You learn how to shield the ball. You learn how to, you know, play quick touches, one twos. Like there's so many things that you learn at, at young ages um on on the course so it's it's very very important i think but uh you know i wish that there were just there was more of that culture here that's all yeah it's 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 a difficult it's a difficult thing to i I have i have a question for you (laughs) i have a question for you romeo yozak is unemployed why is u.s not soccer u.s soccer not taking some of that surplus they have and giving him anything he wants to build a system here, a long-term system. I mean, uh, that that that's that's what I can't believe. I mean, <laughs> the guy comes here and does these speeches all the time. The guy develops some of the top players in the world. Like, why aren't they getting this guy over here right away and signing a contract with him? That's what I don't yeah. understand. Well, dude, he just didn't he just sign like a a contract with a with some fucking like little ass country. Uh, you or- know what? I don't know. I think I, I think he just that. signed as a I think he just signed as a head coach for a national team, but oh. for some country that has no chance. That's crazy. Yeah. If I was U.S., as soon as they fired him in Poland, I would have been on a plane to I would have be, I would have been bringing him here on a private jet right away. Yeah. And, I mean, and, the and, guy is go ahead. Very very smart. He's very very intelligent. The funny thing that that didn't get brought up in sorry, <clears throat> the yeah. funny thing that didn't get brought up in my interview with him. I, I didn't actually talk about any of his time at, at Warsaw and yeah. and the reason that he got fired, like I, I didn't I didn't even ask him because we were talking so much about, you know, this Croatian national team. But th- this is the pressure that that maybe like we don't understand here in the, in the United States that that his team in, in Poland, I think they only fell from from first place to second. The place. Second. Yeah, they, and were in they second fired place. him. They were in second place when he got fired because I think like over three or three or four matches, he might've had like two or three losses over four matches or something. It was like a win, a tie and two losses or something. And, and uh, yeah, that's crazy. I mean, and he second was second place. I know second place and he got fired and it was like mid season. Like he's second place mid season. That's insane to me. That it, That is insane. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't see <laughs> I don't understand it, honestly. I don't know why you'd fire somebody in second place, unless the locker room—they felt the locker room was lost. That's the only thing I could think of. But you know, Romeo is True. great for development. I just this is his first. Realistically, this was his first uh, head coaching job, so that's that's a totally new world he jumped into. Yeah, I, I guess I, I know that I said that it's insane to me. I understand it, and and then I always think back to dude. There's people like Ben Olsen, for instance, in in Major yeah. League Soccer. Like he was like a perennial loser for for I don't know how many seasons. Like DC United was was terrible, and yeah. he kept his job. Like he's still he's still employed. And these guys they they have losing seasons after losing seasons in Major League Soccer. And as soon as another job opens up, they just get moved to that team. Like like it's gonna it be all okay again. Like that's insane yeah, to me. It doesn't make any sense. Oh, I need. Hold on. I'm gonna take a, a sip of wine. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's get back on track. You're 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 in Russia. They beat England. You, you've been there for a couple of days now, and and they're getting ready for France. Like, lead, lead us up to the game. I mean, it was it was actually really great because uh, my dad was in Zadar at the time. He's he's there about half the year now. He's retired. So I convinced him to come to the final with me. So that was really cool because, I mean, uh, the reason I am such a big Croatian football supporter is my father. So for us to go to a World Cup final together to watch Croatia was, it was special. It was special. We, uh, it was really cool because he's never even been to a major tournament. Like you know, I, I I went to France to see Croatia for the for uh, for my first first tournament first major tournament. So he was able to experience some of the, uh, the pregame singing. And, and one, one of our friends here from LA w- was in town who knew some people who were throwing little VIP parties. So 
So it was cool. They had like the Tambori some music and uh, there were some kind of some some big name Croatian people there, singers and uh, personalities. So uh, I think I think he had a really good time at the pregame, but uh, it was crazy everywhere we went all over that red square area where where all the fans were hanging out it was croatians everywhere like it was checkers and then it would be a gap more checkers gap i didn't see any french people i don't know where these french people were hiding <laughs> but the croatians just took over the whole area and and they were singing you know all the way up until the game for several hours so uh it was incredible i i i honestly didn't know how many french people were going to be at the game because i didn't see any so once we got to the game, I was like, okay, there's French people here. They just didn't show up to the to the pregame stuff. I don't know why. But uh, nervous. They the were Christian nervous. Fans are, the Christian fans are very passionate. Very passionate and uh they know they know how to do a good uh you know pregame up to the up to the actual game. So oh, it's, uh, it, it's it was like just the, I was I mean like I was, the not, partying, I was trying to have fun. Hey, hey it's like it's like fun. the partings in our blood, huh? It is, it is. I was trying <laughs> to have fun, but I was also really nervous because you know we had a we had a World Cup final coming up. So, uh, <laughs> so I just, I kept thinking about the game and, you know, how it was going to go and, and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, I, I just, you just never know what's going to happen. And, you know, I, I was hoping that we were going to obviously win and celebrate all night long, but, you know, it turned, the game turned another direction. So, yeah, tell me, tell, tell me about what it was like being in, being in the stadium, like when the, when the game, when the game's happening. So early it was on, funny cause, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Randomly, I just happened to be sitting next to this guy from Los Angeles. And, you know, I live, <laughs> I, I live in L.A. He was a Mexican-American guy from L.A. And he's wearing a, wearing a Croatia shirt. And I'm like, I'm like, that's awesome. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're cheering for Croatia. And he was telling me how he started the tournament cheering for France. But he's like, he's like, I just, you know, I just think their style of play is very boring. And he's just like, I love the Croatia passion. I love the fight, you know, coming from behind. And he's like, he's like, I want Croatia to win today. So it was pretty cool sitting next to a guy who has no connection to Croatia at all rooting for us just like me basically you know he was when we scored he was hugging me and high-fiving me and i was like this is awesome so uh <laughs> so yeah so it was me and my dad sitting next to each other and we were close to the creation section which was nice um and uh i mean the first 15 20 minutes the first i mean we could say the first 18 minutes were incredible i mean i just thought we had we could we were controlling the match you know we were controlling the match and i was like this is awesome this is great everything's going well and then, uh, I mean, France didn't even have a shot on goal yet, and and they scored a goal without a shot on goal, really, you know, with with Mandzukic's, uh auto goal. So that was just very, very unlucky, very unlucky. And then uh, we did we did a wonderful job. Well, for, I think it was the fourth game in a row. We came we came back from a goal down and we tied it. So that was incredible, you know. And the the stadium, at least our my side of the stadium, which was a Christian side, came to life and like. They're like, you know, it's one one. We can, we can win this now. So uh, that 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 penalty penalty call really, really, really disappointed. I think everybody because I mean, obviously, you know, you're in the stadium, so you can't see what happened, but uh, it was uh, really, really hurt the game. I think, especially after when I saw when I saw it, when I watched it, and I heard all the commentators say it wasn't a penalty. I mean, that really, it really made me sad because uh, you know, if it's one one going into halftime, it's a different game. It's a different game in the second half. Yeah, I think the the commentators I watched, I don't I can't even tell you how many different countries uh broadcasts I watched on YouTube just yeah. to just to kind of get a feel for, you know, what the consensus was uh about the about the penalty call. And and one of the funniest ones was was um Peter Schmeichel. He, oh yeah, I, 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 this and, was the and, best. I really yeah. enjoyed that one. <laughs> yeah, and, and and just how how animated and how adamant he was about about the situation. <laughs> but it seemed like, for the most part, that that everybody everybody was on board with that. You know, it shouldn't have been a penalty. And how? Well, and, and, this is this is what really bothered me. Like the guy, first he calls a corner, and then the French players get around him, right? And then okay, they go to VAR. He watches the VAR. He walks away. He walks back to the VAR. It's like if, you, if you're walking back, that means you're not sure right there. If you're not sure, like why are you calling a penalty in the World Cup final if you're not sure? Let the game go on and see what happens, you know? But if you're not sure and you're calling a penalty just because these guys told you to check it, 
you're second guessing yourself, like like Schmeichel said, you know. Maybe he's watching it in slow motion, this and that. And then he's like second guessing himself, but I don't know. I was very disappointed. If that's gonna be the best referee in the world refereeing that game for him to make that call, it's, it's it's very bad. It looks very bad for FIFA, I think personally. The thing that bums me out the most is is that it was an American that was the VAR, like the lead VAR guy. It was Mark oh, Iger. I'm pretty I sure. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I could be speaking out of turn, but I'm almost I'm I'm ninety nine percent positive that it was Mark Geiger who was on the VAR team, or at least a U.S. referee. I'm, but I'm ninety nine percent sure it was it was Geiger. I mean, this is the thing. I I know like there's been there's been some very questionable things with Croatia in the past. I mean, you just go back to the last World Cup and that Japanese referee in the opening match. I mean, it was absolutely horrible. I mean, the penalty that he called against us too. You know, a lot of times these bigger countries they they kind of have an advantage over us, I think, because the referees are kind of more swayed to to the bigger countries. You know, that's just that's just another thing that we have to battle against as a small country. Yeah, which which, it, which sucks because we're just as good, but you gotta you you have to fight this extra element. Yeah, it's 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 not like, and I want to I I want to make this crystal clear. We're not we're not saying that there's like corruption or anything like that. We're we're saying no. that it just like the, like the referee maybe at, at different times is like starstruck or you know they they you know they're refing you know these big names or these big countries and they feel maybe in a way like an, an obligation or like that these players or these these countries you know should be the ones advancing or you know i, I don't know the right way to word that it might not even be on purpose it might even be like subconsciously you know exactly. but it's like they just like happen to like favor the bigger countries which 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 is it makes it really hard when you're a country like croatia like battling and fighting and then you know you're you're just as good as this team and then you have to fight that on top of everything else it's like it's very difficult yeah very, and, very difficult. and 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 i want to make it crystal clear too that it's it, it doesn't only happen to croatia i mean that happens in in you know global football every year oh absolutely. Happens in, in, in club football too like when a absolutely. when a when a barca or a real madrid or whatever plays against the minnow yeah, yeah of course like you know when, when the superstar goes down they call the foul so, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's the same phenomenon that we're talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's just it's it's unfortunate yeah, to kind of see that play out in the in the World Cup. Because when you're down when you're down two one, you know, you're in, you're a Croatian player in that locker room, and you're like, fuck, we tied the game. I mean, these guys, the shots, the shots at the end of the half were like seven to one for Croatia. They had one shot and scored two goals. That's when you look at when you really you know think about it. And, uh, you know, you, you fight back, Pettis scores a great goal to tie it. And then they get that, you know, dodgy penalty. It's like, all right, now we're in the locker room. We're down 2-1, and now we got to go. We have to attack because we're losing, right? If you're tied, you can play a little bit more composed. You know, there's no rush. You just kind of see where the game goes. But if you're losing, you got to go. You got to attack. So we were very unlucky that also that our goalkeeper, he – he looked a bit off. I think he might have been hurt still, you know. I I, I think he might have been hurt. And who knows? Maybe the coach asked him, "Hey, are you good to go?" And he said, "Yeah," because he didn't he, he didn't want to sit out of a World Cup final, which which is understandable. But uh, you know, not, he didn't he wasn't even close to saving any, any of those shots, like not even close. So that was a little disappointing. Tell me about the the second half. So. You, know, you, well, I mean, like just, said, you described how the kind of the wind got sucked out of the stadium. Or yeah, maybe I mean, not the stadium, uh, but I think Schmeichel put it perfectly. You know, Croatia, the referee killed the game. We're we're down two one. Now we have to attack. Um, France has a counterattack. They score their third goal. I mean, France is up two goals. They're a great counterattacking team. Very hard, very hard right there to have any type of positivity at that point in the stadium. You know, you're down 3-1. They score a fourth goal on another counterattack, basically from two chances. They score two goals. I mean, you have to give them huge credit. They're extremely efficient. I mean, they did not create many chances in that game, and they scored four goals. So, uh, you know, when Manjukic scored his second goal with that goalkeeper mistake, uh, you, you know, I think there's a 20 minutes left maybe. So you, we got a little bit of energy. So you're, you're thinking, hey, if we can, get, if we can bring this to 4-3 – like, this could be a really dramatic ending if we can get one in the next 10 minutes. But uh, unfortunately, that didn't happen. So uh, it was a fun World Cup final. I mean, six goals. But uh, 
obviously, you know, you're going to, as a Croatian fan, you're going to feel a little bitter about that first half, about, about, you know, the Griezmann dive to get the first foul and then, uh, and then the penalty, the questionable penalty. I just, I would have felt a lot better if France just beat us two or three zero and they outplayed us. (laughs) I wouldn't have any worries then, you know, I'd be like, you know what? They're better. And that's it. But you're always going to kind of be like, man, Croatia could have won. We could have won a world cup with, if things just kind of went our way. Yeah, it's a it's a common it's a common theme, right? Like, especially I don't I don't know. Have you ever coached? Never, never really got into coaching. Never okay. really got into coaching. You know, I just kind of when uh, I played college, I played college soccer at San Diego State, and then after college, I just got got involved in uh, my parents' family business That's right. in uh, in Los Angeles in the film industry. So uh, uh, I always thought it would be fun to coach. Definitely. Yeah. So, so the, 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 what I was going to say was that it, it's a common theme, I think for coaches, you know, when they're talking to their teams at halftime or post game or, or during the week after, you know, a, a bad game, not necessarily a bad game, but a, a loss maybe is, is a better way to put it. You know, if, if you got your ass handed to you and, and, and the other team was clearly head and shoulders better than you, that's a very easy loss to accept very easy loss right and and absolutely yeah but if if you know if you walk away knowing that you created more chances that you had an opportunity to actually win the game yeah you felt that you were a better team that is tough to swallow man that is very very hard for coaches and players and fans to swallow i agree i agree i mean I, i you know i played i played not at the highest highest level but you know i played at a very good club team in la my coach, who coached me, went on to coach in Japan professionally in Iran. Afshin Godbi, um, he coached, uh, you know, Japan. He coached the South Korean national. He was assistant on the South Korean national team in the 2002 World Cup. So the guy knew the game. So uh, he's still involved in soccer. So I played there, and then I played at San Diego State. But I, I know exactly what you're saying. Like when when the game is, when you have, a, when you know you could have won the game, that makes it even more like torture torture that's another good yeah. word man you're coming up you're yeah. coming up with all the good words today <laughs> <laughs> but 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 you have to give you have to give the Croatian people a huge huge credit they had a great celebration for for the Croatian players which was fully deserved i mean the Croatian players gave everything this tournament they really put it all out there man all their heart and their soul and their sweat everything so uh and that's all you want as a fan, right? You want your players to give, to try their hardest. And and they did. And they, they made the country proud. Did you did you go back to Croatia with your dad after, I after Russia? I didn't. My dad went back. I had to get back to Los Angeles. I, I have uh, two little kids, so I had to get back home. So I was gone for a week. Yeah. Yes, no, but I, I watched I watched all the celebrations on TV, and I mean every city. It was incredible. The first huge celebration in Zagreb was ridiculous, five hundred fifty thousand people, which is like almost fifteen percent of the country was there. They're saying, and then <laughs> the day the day after, each player went back to his own hometown or city, and so they had another celebration for for them at wherever they're from, and then the coach had his celebration a few days after. And that was like crazy too. So uh, huge credit to the coach, the players. I mean, it was an incredible experience. And I, I'm really, I'm really glad I, I got to go there and uh, and experience it with my own eyes. Yeah, man, I I got chills right now when you said you know when Dalic did his celebration like two three days later, whatever it was. Yeah. But I I got chills for that guy because you know what what an amazing experience for him to come in, you know on the brink of death for, for this team. And then to, to revive the locker room and, and the country and, and bring them, you know, to second place. Like it's an amazing experience. People don't even, I mean, I don't even know how, I don't know how much, how often they talked about that pregame here, but I mean, the guy literally came in with one qualifier left in a must win situation away at Ukraine with like 70,000 people and if Ukraine beat us, they would have gone through as a second place qualifier. So it's not like we were playing like the bottom, you know, the bottom of the group team. We were playing a team that was even on points with us where whoever wins goes through. 
but I think a tie, if it was a, if it finished a tie, we would have been the worst second place team and we both would have been out. So Dolly, <laughs> so Dolly's goes there and wins two zero to just to get to the playoff. And then we get Greece in the playoff and beat them. I think it was four to one on aggregate. So just getting to the tournament was like a challenge in itself. And then, like you said, to get to the final after all that, after coming in at such a, like a crisis situation. But the crazy thing is, 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 uh, is when they called him to coach, I don't know if you know this, but, uh, he, they asked him how much money he wanted or something happened where he's like, look, let me coach this game. He's like, if I get you to the world cup, then we'll negotiate. So he basically took the job for free. He coached three games. He didn't ask for a penny which is that in itself is impressive. It makes total sense though, with everything that you hear, like every story that comes out about him, like his character seems to be, yeah. you know, in at the forefront of, of every conversation, not, not just necessarily seems very, his. Just seems it, very noble. And it's funny because I was a fan of his. I mean, I, I was following, I follow all the Christian players. I follow all the Christian coaches and I was a fan of his when he was in, in the middle East because he took his team. I mean, people are like, Oh, he's coaching in Asia or whatever. I'm like, well, he still took his team to the Asian Champions League final. Do you have any idea how many teams are in Asia? Thousands, <laughs> right? I mean, he took his team to the last two. I'm sh- pretty sure that he's doing something right there, you know? That's a good point. He's got to be doing something right, whether it's tactics. I heard I mean, I mean, heard before that he was a, a good tactical coach. His, his team's played uh, organized football, and he was a good man manager. So – when he got named to the Croatian coach, I was actually happy. I was one of the few people that knew who he was. Most most Croatian people didn't even know who he was. Yeah, it's true. It's very true. It's fun. Yeah. No, the, so, the but the, the fact that him. yeah, the fact that his that his character gets you know brought up so much over his you know tactical knowledge or or whatever, I it, it just it, I I think it really speaks to why or what Croatia needed at, at yeah. that moment. Like they, they, they needed a leader. They needed a leader. You know, they needed somebody to bring, bring the players together that, that was going to gain, gain some respect because the lot, the last coach, he just wasn't respected. He did okay, but he just didn't have a resume and people didn't, I just don't think, you know, you got this player, one player from Real Madrid, one from Juventus, one, you know, two from Real Madrid, one from Barca. And then you got this guy who his biggest job ever was coaching Dinamo Zagreb. It's just not that impressive. You know, yeah, it's true. so uh, so this guy comes in and, and uh, the thing I really liked is he's like, look, I'm not going to teach these guys how to play football. They know how to play football. I'm going to try to to help them, you know, just get the most out of them. But a lot of what a lot of people don't talk about is, is there were three really questionable positions on who was going to play where it was the left back position. It was a central mid who's going to play in the middle with Modric and the right mid position. There's three positions and he picks three at left back. He picked Brozovic at the central mid and Rebic at the right mid. And all three were just great, great choices. They all worked out perfect. So, I mean, the guy knows what he's doing. You know, it's not like he he just by chance put this team together and they just happened to go to the final. Like, those were three choices because he had two two left backs that are, are, they don't have great reputations, neither of them. That was kind of our weakest position. And Stinich did a good job. He was solid at left back. He had three choices at the central mid position. Badil had a really good Euro. And uh, and then Brozovic and Kovacic at Real Madrid. So he had to pick between three players there. And Brozovic had an incredible World Cup. And then Rebic on the right mid, he also surprised everybody. He surprised me. He was in good form at, you know, at his club in Germany. But, I mean, he just he picked the best players that were in the best form. And, and it worked out. I think it was also the best collective mentality, I, I, and I don't mean that in a cheesy way. I just I think that, that those eleven guys, and then everybody else on the squad as well, just you know, accepted and understood like, hey, like this is what's going to take us, this is what's going to take us far. And, you know what I've and, never seen. I guess I've I've seen Croatia play with kind of like a, in in attack with kind of like a a power before like a strength and power and speed that was with. Olic and with Manjukic playing together, but now you had three guys. You had Perisic, you had Rebic on the right, and Manjukic. Those three guys played defense like madmen. Like madmen. They were they looked like they hadn't eaten in days 
and somebody would, <laughs> when, 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 when the ball went to a player, it was like a piece of meat and they were all just going after it, you know? And, <laughs> and these guys were, I mean, pressing like crazy. And that was so beneficial, so huge for us when we didn't have the ball. Cause we got so many times we got the ball back so quick. And obviously that can't happen without the midfield pressing as well. So it was just the collective team defense was incredible. It was very impressive this World Cup. Hey, uh, I, I want to make sure I ask you this before before I sure. let you go. But um, what was the experience like be, just being in Russia? I think that that's a, a topic that a lot of people might be curious about. Like, Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, a lot of people, you know, you get all these preconceived notions before you go to a place. And uh, Moscow honestly reminded me of like a large version of Zagreb because a lot of the buildings had a similar architecture and uh and it was just very clean like I didn't notice any graffiti and uh the people all the people that I spoke to at least were, were nice and you know and and they were all rooting for Croatia it was kind of funny when I was at the <laughs> when I was at the Croatia England game these I was talking to these Russian guys in the line I was waiting grabbing a beer and these guys are like Croatia good Vida bad because he said, he said something bad about Russia, you know. He said something about Ukraine, whatever. So that, I thought that was really funny. But uh, the Russian people were very nice, and I think for the most part they were all rooting for us, which is you know, which was nice. So uh, I mean, I had a good time there. I had a good time. I was mostly going to the touristy places. I went to you know, went to a couple of restaurants with a couple of my buddies that were there from LA. But uh, for the most part, it was a pleasant experience. Very safe. You know, I felt like walking around 2, 3 a.m. in the morning, coming back at night, didn't feel any type of like shadiness or, or uh, you know, threats or anything. So uh, it was overall, I thought it was a pleasant experience. I thought, it, you know, the architecture was beautiful. And, uh, you know, Moscow, it's, it's, a, it's a big city. I think it's like, I don't even know how many millions of people live there, eight or nine or ten. Or, it's, it's a huge city. So uh, more, more people in Moscow than in Croatia, that's for sure. <laughs> twice the size <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right man well is there is there anything that that we didn't get to that that you feel like you you know you want to get off your chest or you or you want the world to know about your experience going there i think that's about it i just i just i just thought it was very ironic that it that it was raining during france's parade i don't know if you if you if you got any <laughs> any, any sim, symbology there any, any type of uh you know i thought that maybe the football gods were were crying because I think that we were supposed to win this World Cup. I honestly do. And I think that I think that referee, I think he uh, he had something to do with that. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know if that's I mean, the, the three glasses of wine I finished during this talk or, or if it was actually that funny, but I think it was that funny. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was a good good way to end it, right? That's perfect, dude. <laughs> oh. Very nice talking to you, my friend. Yeah, dude. Um, let's let's catch up soon. Next time I'm next time I'm down in LA, I'll make sure I, I hit you up definitely, and, and, definitely. and let's get lunch or something. Sounds good. Let's do it, my friend. All right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast. And a big thank you to the guest on today's show, Anthony Zoric, for coming on and sharing his stories about going to the World Cup in 2018 and talking about Croatian football. It was a fun little, uh, uh, I guess you could call it a fanboy episode for me. I've never really done an episode like that before, but I really enjoyed it. And if you are looking for more episodes of this podcast, you can find that on 343coaching.com. That's the numbers 343 coaching all spelled out.com and that is also where you can find more information about our coaching education programs which help to support and fund this podcast and here's a little clip from tom buyer talking about his experience taking one of our online courses and i can tell you after someone who's done a lot of coaches education both as a student as an instructor that you will learn more by watching one or two of their videos that you might learn on any full-time course because the, the one thing that I like about what they're presenting is, again, it's simplicity, man. It's very simple. It's not a lot of, you know, complicated words. It makes sense. 
and it goes right directly to the heart of, of, of the game on, on, on how to how to develop um, not just you know individual players but develop teams as well. Once again, you can find all of the information about our online coaching programs, both our free and our premium coaching program on 343coaching.com. That's the numbers, 343coaching, all spelled out, dot com. All right, thank you for listening to this episode of the 343 Podcast, and we will catch you guys next time here. Thanks. Thanks.